Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for... First, got your mic there. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Kurt Levins and Bruce McCurdy. Hey, guys. Morning, gents. Hello, hello. How's everybody today? Starting to get on pins and needles a little bit. Must win Sunday. Yeah. 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 Well, this is an unplanned uh, podcast that we're doing here. And we're only doing it because the orders have made uh, really significant lineup changes, much more than I expected them to make uh, for the game coming up. So we're going to go through those lineup changes. Um, we are, we're live now, so I'm just going to call up this podcast and uh, send it out to people. But um, I, I would say that the general theme is uh, speed over grit. So what we'll do is go through each of the lines in defense pairings and get your comments. And as you're talking, I will tweet this out. Okay, uh, the first line, I'll just give you the first two lines and we can talk about those um, as a group. First line, Drysdale, McDavid, Pulu, RV, same as last game. But the second line is dramatically different. Uh, we have Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, Ryan McLeod, and Zach Cassian, who I thought might be taking a seat after last game, on the uh, second line. Kurt, what is your take on uh, just those specific changes to start with? Well, the first line, as you say, the same as last game. It's their best line. It's the best trio they can put together. Um, given the task at hand, I think they're smart to leave it together that's my opinion the second line i think winnipeg has trapped the neutral zone brilliantly i think uh, more speed is required to break that trap and and a trio of nugent hopkins mcleod and cassian has the quickness and the size to do so big step up in weight class for ryan mcleod but you know we saw one audition late in the regular season with him at 2c and i suspect that was with this very situation in mind uh, it's it's a bit of a roll of the dice, but I get the reasoning why. Bruce, yeah, a huge roll of the dice for sure with uh, with a uh, uh, lightly tried rookie at center at uh, well, what they're listing at two C. I mean, I'll be more interested to see how they how they actually split up the ice time when it comes to actual goal time uh, and promoting Zach Cassian to this to the second line wing. Uh, based on his play, really all season long, that's a, that's a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, I was looking at Cassian with a bit of a critical eye yesterday, and noting that in of his 29 games, uh, 19 of them he didn't even have a shot on net this year, and in his last 14 games, basically half of his games, uh, he has no points and no plus games in that entire time. Now, mind you, he has not had the the cherry line mates, but uh, uh, in this case, you know, with Nuge on his line, at least listed by uh, I think Bob Stoffer that listed him in that order as the uh, as the second line. Uh, I guess the idea is that the Oilers are going to want to uh, uh, to get in and uh, win the speed and forecheck game, and they want Cassian to go in and loosen up some pucks. And uh, if he brings his A game, great. You know, I mean, he's certainly fully capable of doing that sort of thing, but we just haven't seen a whole lot of it out of him. I think it also speaks volumes that they have more confidence with Ryan McLeod at second line center than Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, Nuge has not been able to offensively uh, drive a line, 
And I think this is reflective of that. Yeah, it's really um, disappointing, honestly, that uh, that's the case. I'm a little surprised that they haven't um, gone back to the 81% solution. The line of Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Kyler Yamamoto as the top line, uh, which would allow them to have that the fourth line we're going to get to is a little small in size and i think the like the line of cahoon uh nugent hopkins and yamamoto last game had almost like i just don't get that move from from day one i like too small to succeed in the playoffs and i see a fourth line that might be trending in that way again so i i think if you had moved bump pull yarvi down um to one of the other lines second line you have uh, a big player who can help drive play in that way uh, on your uh, second line. So I'm not, I don't know what's with Yamamoto that they don't trust him in that role after such incredible success. 81% goals for percentage of Yamamoto, Dreisaitl and McDavid in the in the regular season. Uh, 13 goals for, three against. I think I would have liked to seen them go to that line. It's It was their most successful line. So this is the second year in a row that the single most successful line in the regular season, we're not seeing it in the playoffs. I don't really get that. Although I don't, it's not like I hate this top line. I love this top line. It's a fantastic top line. It came very close to scoring last game on a number of plays. Um, Connor McDavid has yet to bring his A game in this in this um, series. I think it's fair to say there's been a ton of interference by the Winnipeg Jets. Um, he's got to keep fighting through it until he falls down and forces a call. And 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 all the Oilers forwards have got to keep fighting through that interference now until they fall down and take it and force the refs to start making calls because the interference is stopping the orders getting in on the forecheck. So that's why we're seeing, I think, McLeod on the second line. He's a big body who can move his feet. That's why we're seeing Cassian in this game not taken out as opposed to Neil and Chase on because when you get interfered with, you, you have to fight through it. And what was happening so far is guys like Cassian and Neil who have been interfered with, they're then at a dead stop and they can't get going fast enough. Bring, keeping Cassian in, putting McLeod up there in, in a more prominent They get interfered with, you, they fight through it, but they're fast enough then maybe to get in on the forecheck. And um, so I hope to see that. Want to go to the second line, the third line now, gents, uh, which is Devin Shore, Jujar Kara, and Josh Archibald. Thoughts? Well, we've seen this lots in the regular season. And to my eye, when these guys were a trio, they were effective uh, in terms of trying to punch through the trap in the neutral zone, in terms of an aggressive forecheck on the Jets defense that the Oilers still have not effectively gotten to in this series. Um, I have zero issue with that trio. Like like you, David, I, I my eyebrow is raised a bit on that fourth line. But this third line, to me, that's that's pretty functional, and I and I can see that having a positive impact. Yeah, well, this this line is actually tried and true. We've we've seen this line playing in a number of games, 14, 15, 16, I call them, and there's some people call it the Sweet Caroline, and I think it's got a few different uh, few different monikers. But the uh, uh, what what they have in common is that there's three pretty aggressive players. Typically, when they play together, all three of them have multiple hits, and you know they're playing a, a physical two-way game. All three of them are penalty killers, uh, and um, all three are you know uh, D 
decently experienced pros at this point in their in their career. So there's, uh, uh, I think as as uh, third line goes, it's uh, it's solid enough. Don't expect a bunch of goals from them, but uh, don't expect Winnipeg to score a bunch of goals when they're out there either. Yeah, at the start of this series, I, I I was a little surprised that they didn't go to this line, considering how effective it had been. I, I wasn't I wasn't saying it was a mistake because I think they needed to try to get Cassian in because what he can bring if he ever gets his game together again is is something that is very useful in the playoffs. Ferocity, hitting, um, you know that X factor of intimidation in the playoffs. He's he hasn't come close to bringing it yet in the first two games, but I can see why they wanted to get Cassian in. Um, so good to see this line back together again. It was very effective. Uh, I thought as a checking line with Nikolai Ehlers back in for the Winnipeg Jets. They also, um, they're going to need a checking line that can match up against their top two lines. So they have that now in this line. If this line's out there against, I'm not going to be like, oh my God, if this line is out there against one of those top two lines of of Winnipeg. So you need lines that can handle that, you know, and I think so the owner's top line and this third line can do that. I'm going to be a little bit worried about the second line and the fourth line defensively. McLeod has held his own on defense, but you know, this is a, he, he, I, he hasn't stepped up in the playoffs yet. So can he hold his own against, um, when he's out there in those moments against those top, top two Winnipeg lines, I'm a little bit worried about that. And uh, so, and with the fourth line, the same thing, Ennis, Haas and Yamamoto. This, this is, um, this is a, Haas is a very good defensive hockey player, fortunately. So, and Yamamoto is is as well. Um, so they have two very high IQ defensive players um, together. So I'm not so worried about these guys defensively as I was with um, Cahoon, Nugent Hopkins, and, and Yamamoto. Nuge struggles on defense as a center a lot. Um, and um, Cahoon, Cahoon's been okay, but... So this line, I think, can get by defensively. Not that worried about it. I'm a little worried that they won't be able to fight f- through the forecheck and get the, whether they can get anything going on the attack. Bruce, what do you think? Yeah, well, Winnipeg's got the last change, which is going to be a factor in terms of how well can Dave Tippett hide uh, his his lines. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about that McLeod-Cassian combination on the defensive side of the puck. And McLeod, I think we're all seeing him good, but the, the, the brutal facts say that he was on the ice for both winning goals in the two games to date, and he just made a change, and not a very good one, in the third one. Kurt, any thoughts on the fourth line? I think the fourth line speaks to the roster issues and the cap complications that Ken Holland has faced. Uh, we talked, of the three of us at the outset of the series, how one of the Jets' advantages was, was forward depth. We're seeing it in these two sets of lines today. Um, all of those guys in that fourth line are good pros. I'm with you, David and Bruce. They, they serve a purpose. Uh, they all contribute, um, but it's a step down. Uh, and until Ken Holland has more cap space to better populate this roster, this is what we got. And I know that's <laughs> damn faint praise, but that's how I see it. You know, the, the other third line that really worked well in the regular season was Ennis, Kara, and Archibald. And I'm a little bit curious about, you know, 
that would have been okay with me too. I'm I'm really good with the third line, so this isn't a criticism of the coaches, but I like an alternate third line. You might have had Ennis, Kara, and Archibald. It might have been a bit more scoring attack, thrust, playmaking with Ennis as opposed to Shore. Um, you know the the other alternative lineup you might have had again, Yamamoto with Drysaddle and McDavid, and Pulleyarvi with McLeod and Nugent Hopkins, bumping down Cassian, I guess, to the fourth line. You might have had a fourth line of Cassian, Haas, and Shore. Um, Cassian is a suspect defensive player at this point, in my view. So, yeah, I'm worried about that second line defensively, honestly. Like when I, that's my, I think the fourth line is going to be able to hang in there defensively at least, even if it doesn't get much going on the attack. They might, though. They've got some good attackers, some fast attackers. But the second line defensively, Nugent Hopkins on the wing. Nugent Hopkins is a very solid defensive left winger. I will say that. McLeod, he's a rookie. And then Cassian, who is a major question mark just all around. I guess they're they're uh, really putting a lot of, they're rolling the dice on Zach Cassian right now and saying, can you get it done, man? Um, same with Nugent Hopkins, who's had a, had a you know, not an inspiring playoff at all. This is the something to prove line, <laughs> I guess. Uh, with McLeod in the same boat just because he's a rookie. Everyone out there is a major question mark to me and plenty to, to show yet. And my issue with Kyler Yamamoto is I'm just not sure he has the physical stature to be an effective playoff performer. He's game. He goes for it. I have zero issue with his effort. But he's been taking a beating out there and not getting much done in the process. Uh, at some point, you have to wonder if, if a guy that's, you know, 150 pounds soaking wet uh, can play this man's game at this time of year. Remains to be seen in my eye. Bruce, any any uh, final thoughts on the forward lines? Well, that fourth line is tiny. You know, Gaetan Haas is the big big guy on that line at 181 pounds. He's 20 pounds heavier than Tyler Ennis and 28 pounds heavier than Kyler Yamamoto. I mean, literally the three of them average 165 pounds a man. And I'm not sure how that's going to stand up. I mean, they got quickness, obviously, all of them. And that quickness is going to have to be their uh, their key to success because if it ever gets down to a, you know, pounding it out along the walls kind of game, you know, I mean, I do think, you know, I mean, all three are gamers, I'll say that. And they're going to need to be. They're going to have to bring that uh, bring that competitiveness and that willing to, willingness to battle. And at that you know, they're going to be playing against guys that are competing with them too that are probably going to outweigh them by 30 to 50 pounds. So it's going to be a real challenge for that as a trio. It'll be uh, interesting to watch. I think a quick move they could make if it's not working, just move Cassian to the fourth line and Yamamoto to the second line. Have McLeod, who is a bigger, mm -hmm. bigger player in the middle. Haas is solid in the middle and can cover for whatever mistakes Cassian makes uh, defensively. And then you get that size on the fourth line. So that might be a quick move. And maybe even before game time, who knows? I, they'll probably go with these lines. <laughs> uh, they won't reconsider before game time. They've been thinking this through. They've obviously thought it through the fourth line, right? They have some reason for doing this. And I, and I so let's think, let's think with the coaches here for a second. Why that fourth line? Well, you know, Kurt, you're saying, you're suggesting it might be the best of the all the bad alternatives. So I think Ennis is in. Um, as opposed to Chase on or Neil, because they just need more speed. They, they, they've got to get faster. And um, so to, to beat that clogging play of the um, Winnipeg Jets in the neutral zone. So Ennis is in there. 
and I think I think they're trusting this fourth line because they think they can get zero out of this line. They're thinking maybe we're not going to get anything on the attack from this line, but they're probably thinking we can get zero against us with Haas, who's a really good defensive player, and Yamamoto's who, who's solid in his own zone as well. So we're not this this will be zero, and we're hoping for plus one with the top two lines somehow. Well, overall, I do think this lineup is quicker. Uh, I think that's for sure. Uh, I think David said it. They arguably took out their three slowest forwards and put in three way faster forwards. I, I buy that. That's a good argument. With Ennis, he's not fast, but he's quick. Yeah. Um, and and so I do think he adds something on, on that side. Just the other quick thought. I'm a little surprised both Neil and Chason came out. I expected one or the other and thought Ennis would be the guy coming in. Uh, but this all but guarantees that Jesse Pugliarvi will be net front on the power play, provided, as my good friend Bruce said, provided we get a power play. Yeah. I'm okay with Chase on, like, I like Chase on, on the power play, but Pugliarvi is really strong yep. on the power play. So um, I don't see that as a, I'm, I'm good with that. What about you, Bruce? I see this. I see the similar strategy that Edmonton used in Winnipeg uh, uh, back after the after they had that enforced week off after the Vancouver series got uh, got cancelled, and they went into Winnipeg and they beat the Jets three nothing, and they loaded up the uh, the uh, McDavid dry saddle uh, on a single line, and they scored one goal at even strength, two on the power play. And then the whole team shut down the Jets and allowed nothing, nothing against. So the bottom nine just went zero-zero, and they relied on the top, top line and the power play to do the damage. And really, that same formula was in effect in, effect in game two, and it would have worked if the top line had produced any goals at all, or you know if they'd got a, uh, been able to produce one on the power play. Uh, hopefully, they'll create. Uh, and draw some penalties tonight and create a few power plays and give that unit a chance to uh, to uh, uh, contribute a little bit more because uh, Edmonton's team uh, success for the last two years has significantly been built on special teams and when the refs put their whistle away that does not help the Oilers. I just want to stress like I know there's a lot of negativity right now in oil country a lot of people um, down on the team and down on this and that the other thing by our count, Bruce, the Oilers have outchanced on grade A chances the Winnipeg Jets. And I think our count definitely aligns with what other people who count uh, scoring chances. It's consistent across the board. The Oilers have had more grade A chances than the Jets in this series. The Oilers should, they've, they've got, uh, what, one goal? They've got one goal. They should probably have five or six goals based on the scoring chances that they've been getting. And if they had five or six goals, this series would at least be tied one game each. It's not like the Oilers have been out badly outplayed or... And, and I want to contrast their play in this playoffs compared to last year. Last year, the goaltending was super iffy and the defensive play was extremely iffy as well. All the, all the defensemen, I thought, every single one of them struggled in some way. And, and players like Nurse and Clefbaum and Larson and Bear really struggled. This year, the top four, other than Tyson Berry on defense, I think has been really good. And um, so the goaltending's been good. And the forward lines have been creating chances. They just can't. They, the story of the series has been Connor Hellebuck. He is, so far has sorted. And the Oilers have not been able to get that puck top shelf where Mama keeps the cookies. 
They haven't been able to go high on him. They haven't had time and space. I think the Winnipeg Jets have played a masterful, disciplined, defensive game. And I'm going to give them credit for that. This has been a, a, a strong where the Oilers have had great A chances. They've had some really five alarm chances, but they just haven't had those moments where they can get that, have that time and space to get the puck, place the puck where they need to place it. So, Yeah, I made the point in my nine things column this morning, and, and it's a good reminder. I think the margins have been razor thin in this series. Uh, both games have been one goal games if you, elim- if you eliminate the empty netters. The Oilers have outshot the Jets in both games. They've outchanced them in both games. Uh, when you look at, at, at zone exits and, and zone entries, uh, Edmonton is ahead in, in those metrics as well. Um, but the Jets, I give them credit. I said at the outset, I really respect this team, and here's why. They're a good hockey team. I never thought they were going to roll over and die against these Oilers. Far from it. And Connor Hellebuck has looked like a Vesna Trophy winner. A couple comments here uh, from JT. I agree, David, but it is a must-win tonight. Doesn't matter if we have been slightly outplaying them. And from Stephen, uh, outchancing is not winning. Sorry, but that's facts. Chances won't win the series. Goals and wins will. And and of course, these are these are completely fair comments. That's completely fair and accurate. You know, the the reason that we're talking about this and tracking grade A chances isn't to make excuses for the team. You'll see actually when the owners were winning during the season and they were getting out chanced that we were, I was constantly bringing that up as a sign, like something's not like they're, they're winning here, but they're not fully functioning. Things aren't going well. We, we bring up the grade A chances because we think it's a, just a good metric to say, you know, goals often come down to puck luck. That's the truth. You watch enough scoring chances and you'll see like the difference between a goal and a grade A chance is very small. Just so, uh, like a millimeters or centimeters of placing the shin pad or the stick or timing issues. It's such a small thing. So if you want to get a, just a better sense of the like the real level of performance, not necessarily how many goals are scoring, you look at the grade A chances to get an idea of how your team's doing how your team's tracking is it outplaying the opposition or not and that's 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 what it is and that's all it is it's not wins and losses and it's not goals for and against unfortunately if it were the owners would be ahead in this series and they're not and yeah they're i don't not. i don't think any of the, any of the three of us are saying the oilers uh deserve to be ahead to nothing i think the jets are full value for the two wins yeah. what i'm saying is it's been damn close and it has been by practically every metric I'd say, you know, 1-1 one, one is fair. If one of the teams was to be ahead 2 nothing based on merit, it might be the Oilers, frankly. I mean, I'm looking at the at the uh, shot metrics here at Natural Statric. Uh, they have Oilers with 59% of the shot attempts, uh, 55% of the shots, uh, 59% of the scoring chances, and 63% of the high-danger scoring chances. Uh, we ourselves have it at 22-17 Oilers for the uh, grade A scoring chances. That's what, 56-57%. Like, the Oilers have had the slightly the better of it. And for expected goals, I mean, here's a stat for you from uh, a natural stat trick. They had, I mean, game one was basically a saw-off. Um, uh, but uh, game two was uh, in favor of the Oilers. And overall, the Oilers have... Uh, us 5.83 to 5.14 now when we start showing 
on the big scoreboard numbers with decimal points in them. That's when I'm going to be a true believer in expected goals. But it's just trying to parse who's generated the better uh, shots from the better places. And it's been the Oilers. And, and clearly, I mean, uh, the Oilers, if they're supposed to give up five, over five expected goals and they've only really given up three, you can't be... You can't point any fingers at uh, at the net mining, uh, but it's just the inability to produce. I mean, they should have scored six goals and they got one. This is this uh. is actually what scares me in this series is mm-hmm. that um, the expected goals are close. Mm-hmm. Excuse me the 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 Winnipeg Jets have scored about their their number of expected goals, and this the scary thing is Mike Smith has really played well, mm-hmm. but he, there's no margin for error here with the Oilers. Uh, if Mike Smith has, so so I think the order should this series should be tied one one or as you suggest Bruce the order should be up two nothing. I'd say one one is a good saw off with, with yeah, the expected goals and and our from our scoring chances that's what it that's what it looks like to me as well. One one would be but we're down the orders are down two nothing and now even though the orders have been the slightly better team, just slightly better though not a lot better. So if Mike Smith stumbles at all this series is over and that's what scares me because I think the orders can come back and win this series based on the flow of play. They have been the slightly better team. I've got confidence in this group of players to, to beat the Winnipeg jets on any given night. I think they're the slight favorite, but just slight. And again, with Mike's, if, if the goalie lets in one or two weak ones, this is tonight, for instance, this series is over. So that's the, that's the kind of the heartbreaking thing about, about the the hockey guards uh when the puck luck is against you um it has been against you you get in a deep hole and and it's really really hard to dig yourself out yeah well the coin i mean if the coin is weighted at all for uh, one team it's only slightly weighted yeah and literally you know most games the better team would be what a one goal favorite over the over the underdog if if that probably less than that and you get one play like some guy making a deflection from the middle of the slot slot out of it out of the air and it hits the, the goal post and the net cam and it takes him a minute and a half to figure out the damn thing went in the net one game. And the next game the guy with his back turned to the play throws his hands up in the air and makes a miraculous shot block of of what looked to be a certain goal. And that's the margin. I mean, it's slivers. The margin are slivers. And the Jets got both of those particular bounces, and they won both of those particular games by a goal. And, you know, I mean, it's Oilers' turn to get a bounce, you might say, but they haven't played that game yet, and they haven't gotten that bounce yet. But it's uh, it's it's high time they got, they got a bounce. But it's also, you know... At at some point you want to you know you want to take command of a game and 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 you know just just flat out win it by being the uh, convincingly the better team, and frankly the Oilers did that in all three of their last three visits to Winnipeg, which they won by <clears throat> by scores of three nothing six one and three one, and they were the better team in all of those games and they're going to need a performance uh, on that level preferably tonight. Slivers to the heart. I guess slivers to the oh. heart can kill you as much as a knife to the heart. Uh, is the truth. Like uh, they and as we all know, slivers hurt, <laughs> they hurt like hell. And these ones really, really have been hurting. Yeah, I don't know. Like that 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 overtime goal. Like I, I was watching again and thinking, like could Kulikov just been a little closer? But it, it you know he he was he shoulder checked. He looked for the vet. Like there was another player coming into the play. He had to make sure that player was covered. Like he did. I think he kind of did everything right. And it was just an outside shot at net 
they got in the net somehow through you know uh went... tip, tip said it was uh tippet said it was tipped off larson and it, so it goes through kulikov tips off larson maybe and maybe and into the net brutal the end zone camera showed pretty clearly it went through both kulikov's yeah. legs and larson's legs and whether it brushed Larson and changed direction slightly, I'm not sure Smith ever saw it until it emerged out the other side of Larson, about eight feet in front of him. What Larson was doing there, I'm not entirely sure, because he didn't really have a man, or he was just kind of floating back to the net front, but he wound up being a lot better door than a window. Bam. Uh, Steven says, maybe we'll get lucky and get the same treatment from the refs the Leafs got last night, eh? <laughs> Six Murdoch, power plays in a row, yeah. eh? Murdoch Davis uh, says, uh, hey, Smith, Murdoch. Hey, Murdoch. Smith has to play back-to-back. -to Tomorrow night might well be tough on him. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wonder if we'll see Hellebuck back. Like, a lot depends on tonight, right? Like, if, if a goalie plays well tonight, I expect we will see him uh, in a do-or-die game, uh, for the Oilers at least, tomorrow night. Um, again, another one, like they're all, they all are for the Oilers right now. The Jets have a little buffer here. But I, I do think we'll see Smith back-to-back, -back, so maybe he'll just sleep in a big bucket of ice or something like that. And in the in, What is that, a chirogenic chamber? Uh, they'll, uh, cryogenic. Cates, cryogenic chamber. Daryl Cates will fly one of those in, and uh, Smith will be oh. down in that. Back oh, back hyperbaric, hyperbaric, hyperbaric chamber. chamber. Cryogenic, cryogenic's <laughs> the one where they cut, they cut your head off. They cut your head off and they leave it in ice for 10,000 years while we figure out the technology. Now they're well, playing the game. <laughs> they, they choose 10,000 years and they can finally come up with the right lines to beat the Winnipeg Jets. Um, uh -huh. I, I think well, they are just throwing darts at the board with their lines on a certain, a certain level right now, so... Here's a concern with back-to-back. -back. Uh, through two games, Darnell Nurse, 61 minutes. Leon Dreisaitl, 55 minutes. Tyson Berry, 53 minutes. Connor McDavid, 50 minutes. No Jet has played 50 minutes. And only one has played as many as 45, Josh Morrissey. And I don't think that'll be an energy problem tonight for the Oilers, but it might be tomorrow. And haven't helped them if they you know if tonight's game happens to go into any kind of lengthy overtime or something tomorrow's game could be an absolute brutal uh well it'd be brutal for both teams but especially the team that's maybe logged a few more minutes over the over the course of uh games one through three so all right let's go through the defense pairings now uh mm -hmm. and they're they they have made uh there's we don't have to go through pairing by pairing necessarily although we can comment on each one um they've made one major change they've moved ethan bear to play with darnell nurse it looks like and tyson berry down to play with slayer cuckoo and um this is a move that they often make uh late in a game when they're protecting a one goal lead they'll move ethan bear up in the final five or ten minutes to play with nurse and then move barry down or they'll bench barry altogether and go with um Larson on the second pairing with whoever he's with, and then uh, Bear and Nurse on the top pairing. I th I think based on the play of Tyson Berry in the first two games, this is this is absolutely essential. They we're lucky. Tyson Berry actually is kind of lucky right now that the whole ugly laser focus of Oilers country, oil country isn't focused on him right now, based on the number of massive mistakes that he's made, which have led to the most glaring 
frightening scoring chances against the Edmonton Oilers. In the first game, uh, he missed the puck near the end of the first period on a shot, and the and the Jets streaked down. And how Mark Shifley missed the open net on that three on one, I, I, I don't know. But um, and then in the second game, off that face off where he makes a bumbling play, um, Kyle Connor has two wide open chances in front of the net where Mike Smith somehow makes the saves and, and those are just the two worst he, he leads there's just been he's had a tough playoff so I had heard he was a playoff performer you just can't have that from a veteran defenseman that he, he 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 ended up the season making a lot of plays like this kind of leaking two-on-one chances and it hasn't ended in the playoffs so you just had to move Ethan Bear up there I don't see any other alternative at this point and I like Tyson Berry on the attack a lot, but um, this has been a concern. You know, back when they signed Tyson Berry, I wrote a, a column here at the Cult of Hockey, and I said, what Tyson Berry is, is an elite first-pairing attacker and a third-pairing defender. Um, and I think that's exactly what he is. And that's not a criticism, really. That, I think that's largely what Berry has been throughout his career. Um, and the third pairing, I think he's a little less exposed defensively, and he's probably uh, going to get a slightly easier matchup down there as well, uh, which may help create a few chances uh, out of those shifts. And from Ethan Bear's standpoint, he's not as good of an attacker as Tyson Berry, but he moves the puck very well. Uh, and so I have zero issue with him moving up with Darnell. The issue with Barry on the third pairing is that he no longer has the quality of teammate that he does on the top pairing. I mean, Barry's uh, uh, best attribute is his ability to be, you know, part of the five-man unit where he joins and is uh, as part of the attack. Well, if he's joining McDavid and or Dreisaitl in the attack, that's one thing. If he's joining, um, uh, you know, Jujar Kara, Josh Archibald, and Devin Shore, you know, he can make all the plays he wants. The chances of one of those guys putting the puck in the net isn't that high. And I, I'm, I'm just worried that it suppresses his strengths, that even strength. And they were, I mean, they always had the same problem. I mean, they used to have this problem with Justin Schultz, right? Where the heck do you put the guy? You want to play him with skill, but when you put him with your skill, you, you, you expose him to the best players on the other team. And then you're, you know, you expose yourselves at the, at the back end a little bit. So I'm not sure that there's a, there's a perfect solution other than I'm, Pretty sure they'll leave Barry on the first power play unit where he's done a pretty fine job uh, throughout the year. And and uh, we'll see how it plays. And we also see how, uh, and this is key to both forwards and defense, how does uh, uh, Coach Tippett respond to the score in the game? If the Oilers take the lead, he does one thing. If the Jets take the lead, he does something different. And how will he choose to redeploy his forces uh, as uh, as the game dictates, your your point on Barry playing with the bottom six is is a good one. And I say back, I wonder how much Gaetan Haas will play in this game, uh, yep. and particularly based on the score and game situations, I can see McDavid uh, and Drysaddle rotating uh, between those two wingers on that fourth line. I think um, I think that Barry Bruce might have some success when you think of him on the attack you know what what he's good at is puck comes back to him at the blue line one of the things he's good at puck comes back to him at the blue line he he makes a move and gets a shot 
uh, on net. And if, you know, Kara, uh, Archibald, um, Yamamoto, Haas, they can all crash the net and screen the goalie as well as anybody. So he, he, he's more effective on the breakout uh, with these better players. But on the attack, putting at even strength, putting the puck on net, he can still do that with these other kind of crash the net. And that's the whole strategy. It's going to be whole strategy, puck to the point, put it on net with these other lines. So I think he can um, do okay in that regard uh, with those uh, other players. You know, Barry's also a good transporter of the puck, whereas yeah. Ethan Bear is more of a puck mover, right? So, so maybe those two individual strengths are part of the reasoning for the, these uh, these three pairings as well. Yeah, and he also—that's right, Bruce. So, when I think of Tyson Barry, he he can also create offense on his own. So, when he's out there with um, one of these other lines, you know, the the play might be in the they could say, "Listen, Tyson, guys, when when you're out there with Barry, we're going to ask him to create at the blue line. So we want you wingers uh, to fill in for him. Like, make sure you cover for Tyson. He's going to get the green light to attack off the point, and and but you you are going to be asked. High man is going to be asked to fill in for him, and cover for him. So maybe you know that's the always the strategy, of course, is that you know when the defenseman attacks, you cover right. for him, but. But maybe that maybe that will be a little bit more of an emphasis. The top, you know, it's interesting. Tippett's talked about a lack of execution, and he didn't really specify what he was talking about. One of the things I've noticed is um, they had a tough time. The defenseman, I, the puck goes back to the point, and they haven't kept it in. And and I can't five or six or seven times where I'm thinking like, keep the puck in. What? Why is that puck coming out? The defenseman's mm-hmm. not there. For some, you know, it just seems to be happening with regularity. Have you guys noticed that as well? It's been bothering me through this whole series is this lack of uh, just keeping the puck in, uh, in the offensive zone by the defenseman. I have noticed it a couple of occasions. I think uh, the forwards were caught with the D-men changing and the puck yeah. went back to the point and the D-men just weren't into the play yet. Those are the couple of things that I saw. Bruce, how about you? Yeah, a couple of times, like the puck came back to the blue line and just, slid right on out and you're going where's the d-man he's either making a change or else he's adam larson and he's out of center for some reason happened at least once and i was what are you doing out there but it uh, uh cycling the puck is the other strength and i think that's what you know especially that first line man they can they can just pass 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 until they uh you know and, and be very patient around the perimeter all the way to the blue line and around the you know all around the boards uh and it sometimes takes them. I mean, we've seen sometimes this year, David uh, and Kurt, where it's taken close to a minute for them to finally produce the the, 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 the killer pass and shot from the slot after, you know, lengthy possessions. Uh, I do think Bear will be able to hold his own in that, although I don't think he jumps into the uh, into the cycle in the same way as Barry does. Uh, from the other hand, David, you were talking about um, Barry's play. Uh, you know, when he plays with the bottom line, my observation is that Barry creates offense at both ends, which is half good. And uh, the checking line, whose first task is to keep Winnipeg off the scoreboard, and they go, oh yeah, we're giving you Tyson Barry to play with while well, <laughs> you're tasked with that. And so it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for them. And as you say, covering off for him is going to be. Uh, Going to be key to that. I mean, you don't want to take you you don't want to take Barry's strengths away from him in this process either. You don't want him to say, "Okay, Tyson, you're a third pairing. We want you to be Adam Larson tonight," because he ain't going to do that. 
So you better let them be Tyson Berry within the within the new framework. At least give them you know give them some room to uh, uh, to impose his own significant skills on the game. The 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 movement of Berry is is interesting because like it changes the vibe of that top five unit quite a bit. And we've all been hoping, I think, to see like that minute long hold the puck, you know, 20, 30 passes, hold the puck in the Jets end by the, the top line, which we saw a number of times this year. But maybe in the playoffs, that's the wrong thing to hope for. And change it, it, just because it's the defense is tighter and they're just not going to let you wheel and deal with the puck no matter what in the offensive zone like that. So maybe this is a with Bear, with Bear, he's a bit more of a direct player. The puck comes back to Ethan Bear. He's going to make a, like a quick, simple pass, or he's going to put the puck on net. And maybe that's what they want, actually, a little bit more of. And, and to think about that for the top-line players as well, for McDavid and Dreisaitl. Okay, you two simplify it as well. Don't go, don't look. The whole play is look for the puck at the net and get the rebound because no one's more capable of draining those rebound shots than you, Leon, and you, Connor. So we don't want you to... You know, cycle when you can, when it's there, take it. But put the puck back to Ethan. He's going to get it on net, go for the net. And that's how you're going to get a goal, you guys, and get off the schneid here, which is, you know, honestly, this is the crucial thing. McDavid and Dreisaitl have got to score some goals in this game or they're not going to win. And maybe that's a part of the thinking as well of moving Ethan Bear up is it's actually going to lead to more goals um, from that top five-man unit. Well, it won't lead to less goals, will it? <laughs> no, it will not. I mean, I guess they, they did get the goal in game one. Uh, Pulley Arby from, from Barry and Nurse was the scoring play. And, and uh, I think all five players were actually involved in that goal. But uh, that's been the uh, the exception to the rule at this point. It's been, you know... And it was a rebound sh rebound shot, right? Like that's yep. that's uh um... uh, yes is yes is good at cash and rebounds. I mean you talk about Connor Leon putting home the rebounds. That's uh Pulley's uh scored a number of his goals over the course of his career on just barging to the net front and banging them home. And that's how he got that one basically. Here from Mark Simpson, I do like the changes, uh though. It at least shows a sense of urgency by the coaching staff. They had to do something. Yep. Yeah, they did have to do something, and and um, I, I, other than the putting together that smaller line in a prominent place in game two, I, I and and not going with the eighty-eight percent line at some point here, um, I I don't have much. To, I think the coaching staff has been has made the right calls. Um, well, uh, the eighty-one. The 81% solution that, that uh, you like, David, in, in truth, they played something like 140 minutes together all year. So, you know, they, they were successful. They got 13 goals in that time, which is great. But it's, it's, it's a fairly small sample size compared to what we had last year with the Dynamite line, which was, I think, 30 goals to nine, I think it was. And so uh, easily more than double the time together where they were a proven commodity, whereas... Uh, 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 McDavid, Drysaddle, Yamamoto, they would play a shift here and there after a penalty kill. I don't know how many full games they played together. And let's face it, Yamamoto has lost the net. He he, he, he hasn't been able to, to uh, produce much offensively for a long time now. And whereas Yes is just scoring, scoring, scoring. Like he's been putting up good numbers for a while. I think this is Edmonton's three best forwards that they stack in that line. And it's a gamble in that if they don't score... 
the or as they did in the last game, the Oilers are in huge trouble. But I would put money on them scoring. You know, they're going to score most games, uh, especially as as a trio. So that's uh, they need to have a big game tonight. That uh, that uh, threesome. That has to be Dave's thinking, right? Which is, he knows their backs are against the wall. He knows they have to win tonight or the series is all but over. Beat my best line. That has to be a part of their thinking. Yeah, and I, I don't really, other than like this, like the size issue thing, like I get the thinking And um, the only reason you'd go with the Yamamoto, McDavid, dry settle trio is because, you know, as Bruce suggested, it was a small sample size, but it was 13 goals for three against. Um and you'd then move around some of the size in the lineup. But I think that fourth line can hold its own. I'm not that worried about it. I'm uh, more worried about the second line. And uh, this is this top line is three really fine hockey players. Yes, Puliyarvi has changed the equation for both his own careers and for the Edmonton Oilers going forward. And uh, I don't want to get into talk about next year yet, so let's we won't do that. But let's he, talk. Let's talk about tonight. You're right. This is going to be a very tough line for the Winnipeg Jets to stop. And um, I, I am expecting just a smoking game from Connor McDavid. I think we're going to see... I, we already saw it from Dreisaitl last game, him bringing mm-hmm. his A game. And I think from Connor McDavid, we are going to see that tonight. Like, it's going to be a, it's going to be a smoke show. I thought McDavid was, was real good in sort of the back half of the game. Uh, the other night, I was getting a little bit frustrated with him as a fan, sort of in the late in the first period and early in the second. And then all of a sudden, he started beating guys and taking place, you know, uh, making creative plays and good passes. And that line was was largely, you know, in, in control in, in the offensive zone. And I, I thought he was fine and really starting to feel it. And he just needs to keep feeling it. And... Uh, start doing what he does best, which is uh, uh, create goals. Final thoughts? Kurt, any final thoughts here? Uh, this is for all the mustard. Um, no, it's uh, uh, it, especially with the back-to-back game coming, if you lose tonight, the, the incline of that hill goes up steeply. Uh, they they got to find a way to, to pull a W out tonight. Have to, have to, have to. Bruce? Yep, need another big game from Mike Smith, who we didn't talk a whole lot about because yeah. he's become such a constant now in the Oilers net. He's the one. And he uh, he needs to come up big and, and uh, uh, carry on, you know, carry on with his, uh, with his strong skill of moving the puck and getting it moving north a lot, but also making those big sta- saves. And the wild card in all this is stopping Nick Ehlers, who really changes the equation for Winnipeg and gives them, uh, you know, dangerous uh, players really on three lines. That uh, uh, it's it's uh, not just how does Winnipeg deal with Oilers' big line, but what kind of damage can they do against the rest of the troops? And so, from Winnipeg's point of view, this is a huge opportunity for them to. Uh, uh, to to really seize control of the series and with home ice and last change, uh, they're you know they're in pretty good position. I I do think the Oilers have overall the better team, but it's close and uh, 
It's uh, they're they're coming from a disadvantaged position, but it's backs to the wall time, as they say. And the start will be key. They can't chase this one. Yeah, I hope that the first shift or this one of the first shifts of the game sees. I, I've been criticizing Tyson Berry, but he could be the hero tonight quite easily because his attacking play is outstanding. He he is a he is a, you know, top notch NHL attacking defenseman. So I'm hoping that the first goal is Tyson Berry. Legs of a Winnipeg defender, which goes in off Zach Cassian's butt into the Winnipeg net. That would be the hockey gourds even evening things up, and we could use we could use that, and so could the Edmonton Oilers. That would be a little bit of justice uh, on the ice tonight. I hope, and I think this this lineup screams that is the tactic. They've realized they're not going to score off the rush with a team that's packing the neutral zone and packing the packing the slot. They're not scoring off the rush too much. They're not even scoring off cross seam shredding passes through the you know the attacking zone at even strength they are going to be scoring tonight by crashing the net putting pucks on net and crashing the net that's what this lineup screams out to me is that's the strategy and i think it's hey that's a good when you're when your plan a hasn't worked good plan b good plan b got to forecheck him if the def jets are featuring slow defensemen who are standing up on the blue line get the puck behind them flood the zone win the puck uh, make some hard play at the net or pass towards the net as and try and try and create something quickly off of you know turnovers and one races all right some of the uh we from uh flipper do 22 he says let's get ready for the virtual fist pumps i'd say it's time to sign off with a virtual uh fist bump are you guys ready let's do this let's do this oilers Goilers. Goilers. All right. <laughs> Big game tonight. Thanks, guys, for talking. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>